Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today. When I say influencer, what image comes to mind? Is it the glitz and glamour, the photographs and the ring lights, the endless vacations, the best clothes, the best restaurants, a perfect life? It may all seem very glamorous, but a lot of hard work is happening behind the scenes, from preparing the content, to the continuous socializing and traveling, to the toll that a public life has on your family, to the point where you start thinking twice before stepping out. In this episode, I chat with Lebanese entrepreneur and the 2019 winner of the World's Bloggers Award, Bram Shriti, whom you may know by his Instagram handle, Daddy Foodie. We'll explore the reasons behind his success and what drove him to become what he describes as a 40-year-old food blogger that likes burgers. Welcome to Conversations with Lulu, a series of relaxed and candid discussions with entrepreneurs and business leaders who have become role models primarily in the MENA region. My name is Lulu Khazan. I am an entrepreneur living in Dubai, an investor, a mother, and your host. Brahms was born in Beirut in 1978, in the middle of a bloody civil war. And for the few families that were able to leave, Brahms' family escaped on a military boat to nearby Cyprus and ultimately moved to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. Then at nine years old, Brahms was uprooted again, and this time to Australia. He recalls being bullied in school for being Arab, and he struggled to fit in. But that, in his words, ultimately tempered him and made him stronger. Life would have it that Brahms and his family returned to Saudi Arabia in his adolescent years and then back to Lebanon for a brief stint after a few encounters with the Saudi religious police. Eventually, Brahms decided to study hotel management in Lausanne in Switzerland, following the footsteps of his father, who was and remains a successful event planner working with Saudi's most influential people and royals. So you graduated from hotel management and you, you did zero, zero work experience. Zero work experience and an absolute professional depression. Okay. Because I left there and I started doing the maths and I started saying to myself, if I'm going to buy my first luxury car, I'm going to have to work 30 years. And if I wanted to buy the house of my dreams, I'm going to have to work 40 years. And if I ever want to dream of having a private jet, There's no way I was going to ever do that. So I lived six months of absolute despair. Despair because I didn't know what to do, but despair also uh, out of the feeling of guilt towards my father, who's dished out an enormous sum to send me to Lausanne and now looks at me and says, what, you don't want this anymore? And according to you've told me on day one that you didn't want to do this. And here, I think, was one of my big if you want a milestones in my mindset in that, listen, if I really want to become who I want to be, and if I really want to make all these dreams that I always had as a kid growing up come true, there was no way I could have done that through employment. 
I had to really start something on my own. And that realization launched Brams into entrepreneurship, and he has since launched close to 30 different startups over the past two decades. What I found unique about Brams is that he went against the flow when it came to building a long-lasting business and scaling it throughout the years. His approach was more opportunistic. He finds a business opportunity, he seizes it fairly quickly, commercializes it, and exits. His first company called Trade Union leveraged his strong connections to Saudis and his Lebanese roots and facilitated investments in Lebanon on behalf of Saudi nationals. His second business was a concierge business to take care of their entertainment needs during their stay in Lebanon. Everything from booking bodyguards to personal shoppers and private planes. Brahms became notorious in the nightlife scene, something that put him on the radar of Ben Elliott, one of the co-founders of the global concierge business Quintessentially. So then you kept jumping from, from, from one opportunity to the other, but with Quintessentially, I mean, can, can you share like... Uh, uh, a story maybe that uh, that stands out. It, it's funny you should ask because quintessentially itself started in a very, yeah, in a comical way. It was uh, the founder who came to Beirut, basically, and um, who's a part of the British royal family. And he said, listen, who's the... Uh, Who's the big shot in this town? Who, who, who basically runs the town? Point me to his direction. And at that time, I was the big kahuna running the show, booking tables, booking jets, taking care of VIPs. And so uh, I accepted a meeting with him and we sat down and he said, listen, my, I want to expand to the Arab world. I'll give it all to you. Partner with me and uh, let's grow this baby together. So for the next 10 years, I was in charge of first growing it in Lebanon, then growing it in the Near East, and then growing it into the Gulf. And then it segregated and we sold parts uh, off. And then at the end, I said, you know what, it's, it's not really my market. I'll help you grow it, but let me take care of Beirut because it's my baby. Uh, I, I wasn't really interested in running the show in Dubai or in Riyadh because at the end of the day, uh, it's great for business, but it's not really great for pleasure. Pleasure being yeah, in Beirut. You were having fun. <laughs> exactly. So I wanted, and I always wanted... Uh, my businesses were always a means to an end, uh, right? Quintessentially, it was always a means to an end. Uh, I wasn't interested in the uh, $50,000 a year membership fee that these clients were paying, even though substantial, it was great. I was more interested in getting close to that client who was willing to pay me $50,000 a year to be his account manager, just to take care of him, basically, to build a hotel project in Dubai or build a hotel project in Riyadh or in uh, in Bahrain, etc. But did this uh, did quintessentially do this type of stuff, or that was your no, other business? No, that's me. But I owned it. Okay, you you took over quintessentially. You franchised it almost right in uh, in Lebanon, but you still had your own business. So you had two businesses now. Yes, three. I had the the I had the competitor of quintessentially also. Remember the one I started in my office, yeah. I love that. You're like a hustler in chief. Officially, quintessentially was great for my persona because it elevated me from this like young Arab entrepreneur into like, now I was in Forbes magazine. I was going to the Monaco Grand Prix. I was flying private jets with clients. It, it gave me, if you want, the international pedestal of being... Uh, I, was, I was now part of a different club than the Arab club. I needed that because whether you like it or not, us Arabs, 
We love anything that's foreign. That's foreign. Yeah. yeah. So as long we as we're, it. as long as I'm Brahms, the Lebanese guy who grew up in Saudi, yeah. I'll always be, you know, tagged as that. Whereas now I'm like, no, if you go to quintessentially.com, not .lb, you're going to see me yeah. there, right? And if you pick up <laughs> Harper's Bazaar, London issue, you're going to see me there. It's not just the Lebanese issue. So that's what I wanted on my professional CV, if you want. I wanted to add that image of a cosmopolitan entrepreneur that gave me a lot of credibility when it comes to the art. So quintessentially was the real, if you want, stepping stone for me to move on to my next venture. Are you going to share a story? Am I going to share a story? I'm trying to avoid that one. Yeah. <laughs> the, the official ones, uh, if you want, are, uh, you know, getting them front row tickets at Wimbledon, uh, preparing, uh, getting them a dinner with Angelina Jolie, which was one of the hardest wow. things I ever did because she didn't accept money, right? When things are buyable, that's very easy when there's a price tag attached to them. But what you're going to what kind of incentive are you going to give uh, Ashwarya Rai or Angelina Jolie uh, to, to accept a dinner with one of my clients? So it was mostly donate to this charity, uh, help my husband get into this market. It, it, it had to be um, uh, nuanced in terms of a return for them, uh, for them to uh, accept And, and you personally like led these uh, negotiations. Yeah. How can you basically? trust one of your team to do something like that? Yeah. I mean, these were me personally, me personally delivering sushi to 50 cent while he was in Beirut. Uh, these were the things that you cannot afford to mess up. However much you trust your, uh, your staff. Yeah. And then there were the whole illegal requests, which were very difficult to mitigate. And what are you going to tell them? How, how can I tell them no without um, uh, injuring their hurting egos their and hurting their feelings? But that's like the ultimate uh, masterclass in negotiation. This is what you need to do. That's why I tell you, this was really the stepping stone to build me as an entrepreneur. I mean, you were talking with uh, people that are unreachable and, you and people know, that can make uh, you evaporate. And there's be no trace of you in case you mess up with them. Imagine the, a, a, a father wants to take his daughter to Wimbledon and he arrives and his chair is not ready. How are you going to get out of that one? Or how are you going to be able to continue a career while this guy is upset at you. <laughs> yeah. 10 years, lots of stories. But lots of stress, I can imagine. No, no, the stress was unbearable and that's why I gave it up. And it was, uh, yeah. it was the moment we had our uh, first son. Yeah, yeah. Just before I had my first son, my wife and I looked at, because my wife was my business partner in all these things. So even though she was taking care of different parts of the business, so we don't step over each other, uh, we always agreed that we would the get into business together. That way we get to see each other all day. And she's also from a hotel background. It's so nice that you, you make these decisions together, that your wife is like your real partner and everything that's rare and beautiful when it works. So you, you really have, uh, you have the winning formula there. What's one tip you can share on the, on that front? Because I'm sure that's not easy. It's, it's very difficult. So I would start at the beginning. And uh, to any person I care for, I would always tell them to marry your best friend, right? Because everything else can be either fixed or doesn't really matter down the road. Uh, a, a friend relationship in a couple is the most important. Marry someone or be with someone uh, that, that understands your goals, uh, that understands 
uh, your, if you want, ambition. And if, if preferably, if they can share that ambition with you, that would be the best case scenario. But in most cases, it doesn't happen. Yeah. As long as um, they don't fight you or they find a way where both careers can, can work together, uh, then that's the, the winning formula. But friendship, I think, is, is, is the most important thing. So as Brams took a step back to focus on being a father, he became fascinated with tech entrepreneurs like Mark Zuckerberg, who built a phenomenal business from his dorm room while wearing sweatpants. So for me, that was the next chapter in my professional life, which was how to maximize my time on Earth and how to make it efficient in that the minimum amount of working hours a day from home in my PJs in front of my laptop would generate enough income for me to live a happy life. And that's why the second tier of companies were all online. Uh, at haddag.com, tactic.com, daura.com. I don't, I don't even remember them anymore. There was like 18 websites that I opened within two, three years, culminating with bidzid.com, which was the biggest bidding web. That was basically a money-generating machine. So in your mind, it was never... I'm going to build this for the next 10 years. In your mind, it was like, this is an opportunity. I'm going to grab it. I always sell any of my companies much, much, much at the earlier stages of maximizing it. I was making 10, 20% of the value of the potential of the website, but I sold it at 30 times what uh, it was making. So why should I take the risk in scaling it, growing it? it. I was never, and I admit it today, I am not a good business manager. I suck at as business managing. I overspend. I love my employees. I treat them as friends. I take them out partying. I don't know how to cost cut. I'm a crap business manager, but I'm a genius when it comes to creating businesses. I'm a great conceptualist. I'm a very bad operationist. See what I mean? It's almost like very strange because usually the early days are the hardest days, right? Th- but that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the creation. See, that's what keeps me motivated. I'm not interested in managing a continuous operation where we're doing the same thing every day. And and I so you don't see yourself uh, as the CEO in the corner office. Uh, Yeah, never. I've never been a CEO. I've never acted like a CEO. Uh, And again, that's bad because employees look at me for guidance, and I'm like, no, no, I'm not here to be your dad. I'm here to create the business. You're here to do your business. And in two or three years, we're all going to exit. So again, that's why I tell you I'm not a good business manager. I never uh, claim to be. While Brahms was enjoying his startup marathon, building and selling businesses from his home while in sweatpants, everything came to a screeching halt one Friday afternoon. The news will change his perspective on life forever. I got the call that no young person should ever uh, get uh, and the call went along the lines that I would like to see you tomorrow at my clinic and I told him can we do it over the phone he said no no I prefer not to do it over the phone and that was a Friday and it was the longest weekend of my life because I knew it wasn't going to be good news and yeah. so uh, Monday morning my wife was about to go into labor so we decided to go together she went to her uh, OBGYN, I went to my doctor and he told me, listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, it's what you think it is. And I said, uh, 
a million things passed through my mind uh, because, you know, cancer has so many faces and so many treatments. So I didn't know which pigeonhole he was going to put me in and how much uh, that was going to take to recover because I had so many plans, right? I, I needed to be by my wife's side, who was delivering any moment now. I had to be by my son's side, who was now, you know, at five years old. He's no longer a baby. So he understands all of this. I had my responsibility towards my employees who needed me at uh, work. And so it was, it was a, a, a mix of being slapped in the face a million times because you didn't know what the outcome was. Uh, so he told me, no, listen, recovery is, is generally good. So it was thyroid cancer. That was the problem. It started off as thyroid cancer, but had I checked it earlier, it would have been much, much easier. The tumor had left the thyroid gland and went into my neck. And so here was the, you know, the scarier part because thyroid cancer in itself is not uh, difficult uh, to get rid of. But neck cancer is a whole different uh, story, right? Um, so my wife went into labor in one room and I went into the operating theater in another room. So we both got operated almost at the same time. So it had to be done fairly quickly. It, I had two options. I could have done it now. Uh, but the problem is, is that with thyroid cancer, there's a big recovery period whereby I can't be home for three months because of the radiation therapy. I cannot be close to children. So I was 10 days in the hospital by myself. And then I spent three months at my parents' house uh, by myself. And I would see my kids Without from the, seeing your from the balcony. Born. Yeah, exactly. So they would go out on the balcony. I would say hi to them and come back in. So that was the hardest part. And it took a massive toll It's really hard. On, my, yeah, on my eldest son. So at the same time, like he lost his best friend who's no longer living in the house. And who's this new kid that's coming to replace him? So there was a new boy in the house. So that was like a double whammy, uh, double whammy for him. But along with it came a lot of, um, you know, a lot of positive things. Uh, it humbles you. It reminds you that your time on earth is extremely limited and that you should do your best to maximize the things that you want to do. And the frills that you thought were important growing up are not really that, uh, that important. So if you want, that's the only positive, I guess, that you can come out with after passing such a, a dreadful experience. I'm sure it takes usually a really hard event in uh, in your life to uh, to get you to change your perspective. You know, you've had to face something that no 40 year old should uh, have to face. And here I was thinking I was invincible, that none of these experiences that ever happened in Lebanon or otherwise were able, able to, if you want to put me on my knees, um, What do I do now? How do I rebuild my confidence? How long did it take you to recover, Brahms, all in all? Uh, almost a year. To recover physically was easy. Within three months, I was oh, okay. back on my feet and I could see everyone and I could hang out with my kids. Okay. Uh, six months until I regained, you know, some social recovery, seeing friends, seeing family, going But why? Out. Why did it hit you so hard uh, mentally? Because I never thought it would happen to me. See what I mean? And I never thought okay. it would happen to me so soon. Uh, this, it's like, it's like you've taken a bat and like broken the statue that thought was invincible. And so that was the hardest part on me. And it, it's wrong to think like that, but it's difficult to tell someone that it's wrong to think like that. After spending nearly a year of getting himself together, having reassessed what really mattered to him, he kept asking himself, what do I do now? How do I maximize my time with my family? 
how do I rebuild my career and do something I love? So just before he turned 40, Bram signed up to Instagram and started posting snippets from his day-to-day life, and more importantly, what he was cooking. So Instagram was like the pure, unfiltered Brahms. This is, this is how I look like in the morning. This is how I look like with boxers on that nobody should see. This is how I look like making an omelet. Uh, this is how I look like, you know, driving to work. And this is like a, a, a beautiful sunset. And I'm going to New York for the weekend to try a new burger place. Come along. Did you think about, uh, you know, what are people going to say or what if they find it exciting or Lulu. not? Or I did not nothing. care. It was me. It, like the number of followers was like increasing every day. And I was my biggest fan. I didn't really not care how it was. It was like the life of daddy by daddy for daddy. That's it. That was just about me. It wasn't even daddy foodie. It was Brahms at the time. It was, I I, I had no branding, no name, nothing. It was just me doing what I liked and that's it. So that's how it started. People are very conscious usually, right? About how they look, their image. What do people say about them and all of that stuff? I mean, that's why people spend so much money on clothes and cars and houses and makeup and, you know, all of that stuff. And here you are uh, in your boxer shorts, uh, filming yourself making eggs um, without really caring if anyone's going to watch it or not. And it just started to pick up. What you said now, I think, is the secret to that success. Not caring what people okay. thought means that you're giving them an honest content. And at that time, content, especially in our area, uh, we are very afraid, or if you want, we are very conscious about our image. I, Param, family, etc. Of course. Et yeah. So, and here comes this middle-aged dude who doesn't care, and right? <laughs> and if he tells us this burger is good, he probably means it, right? Because he's right, not he's yeah. not paid by anyone. I mean, he can afford to eat any burger he wants on earth. Why would he tell us that he's going to New York this weekend to try this burger? But but when you flew to New York to try a burger, you flew it because Brahms felt like going. That was part of my lifestyle. I always did that. And when, when my wife and I planned trips, we planned them stomach forward. It's not like we want to go to Florence to see this building. It's not because in Florence, there's this beautiful pizzeria. So let's see the building that's next to it. See what I mean? It's always been, I've always been passionate about food ever since I was a four-year-old. So food was always a a personal pleasure of mine, but I never got into it because there's no money in food, right? There's no big money, let's say, in food. So for me, you know, the, 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 the guy who always balances input and output, it wasn't efficient, right? Opening a restaurant and being there on Sundays and while everybody is out celebrating, you're the one doing the dishes. So it never made sense. So people keep asking me, why don't you open a restaurant? People who are passionate about food don't open restaurants because you become enslaved to that job. You like to eat it. Exactly. I like to, more importantly, I like to share it. See, people who sit with me always tell me, you give us appetite. You talk about food and you describe food in a way that shows us how much you love it. And in turn, that influences us to try it, right? And that was the beginning of the whole influencer thing. Uh, I never set out to become an influencer, but I did set out to become a storyteller. I always loved documenting my experiences and sharing them with people. And it's only when I reached like a big number that I said to myself, here's where the entrepreneur kicked in, right? The the person who doesn't want to do anything for nothing and the person who doesn't want to spend countless hours documenting their their experiences for nothing says, you know what? Maybe I can fly to New York and get paid 
Maybe I can go to this restaurant and get paid by the restaurant. Or maybe I can create a page that is so big that brands want me to tell their story. It wasn't so much the restaurant paying me because I didn't want to burden the restaurant with, uh, with expenses. I was more than happy to give them free publicity. It was, why don't I attract the big brands to try to tell their story in a more honest and a more familiar way? And that's why if you've noticed, all the brands that I work with are brands that I use on my, in my personal life. I would never tell You're the story. Hey, oh, I would never tell the story. I'm very selective because I don't have to do this. See what I mean? And again, this was one of the secrets to Daddy Foodie being so successful is because people who know me know my lifestyle and know there's no way that my opinion can be bought. You know, I love the way you edit your videos. It's, you know, you always have music and a mix of talks and, uh, and uh, showing things. Definitely you have something unique in the way you do the, the content. Do you have a team that works with you? Uh, no, uh, absolutely You're not. You're on your own. I am completely on my own. Uh, unless I need a professional photographer or I need like a professional film crew that I cannot film myself. As you see, most 90% of uh, the content I create is on my phone. Uh, but of course, some brands come and tell me, listen, we have a budget. We want to fly you out to Scotland, put you on a helicopter and like you'll jump and like land on horses. A kid, I would need a film crew to take care of that part. And that's where the film crew comes in. But that's really in the 1% of my videos. So you do, you do your uh, outreach to get sponsors. You Everything. Do your I talk to clients. I send them uh, contracts. Uh, I talk to agencies. I go myself and collect my checks. I talk to everybody online. I receive two, 300 DMs a day. I reply to everyone. I reply to all my comments. So, so you, you really love what you do? I love it and I don't want it getting out of hand. I don't want this turning into my old businesses because I can grow five, six times the size that I have had I had you a can, team around me. I can, but then it will, it'll be like the old businesses, right? I would have to have the stress of salaries every month. I would need an office. I could not work from home. I cannot wear my PJs. But how do you See keep yourself I mean? like disciplined and motivated to keep? I mean, because as an influencer, you have to produce content constantly, uh, right? Like you have to come up with something different. And I'm sure you have a lot of copycats now. I mean, there's so many food uh, bloggers now. Uh, so how and you won the food uh, bloggers award? I won the world's best blogger award, actually. So. And you're, and you're on your own. That's amazing. Oh, on my own. Yes. And just to let you know, the two people that were next to me that won that award were Nusrat, Salt Bay, and yeah. uh, Food God, Kim Kardashian's best friend, and me. See what I mean? So uh, that gives you an idea that after two years, wh where I aspired to become, uh, I did. And again, that was that same winning mentality. I always tell people... Uh, Daddy Foodie was successful because I applied the same business ethics and, if you want, formula that I did to all my old businesses. Sah, it really looks super casual and fun, but really it is operated like a business. Usually, like for me, I'm an entrepreneur as well. And, and one of the things that really helps me in sort of uh, staying the course is when I bring people around me because it helps me not, it's not stay motivated because, you know, usually I like what I'm doing and I have the motivation anyway, but it sort of keeps you in check. Right. Like there's there's responsibilities, there's people around you. The machine has to work. 
so how do you do it on your own? That is why I didn't grow past where I could have grown. Had I had that machine keeping me in check, had I had that team motivating me and telling me, you know what, it's been a week since you've posted content, you need to go post, I would have grown. But again, that's not what I'm looking for right now. I'm not okay. in a period of, of my professional career. So what are you career. looking for? Ha, now that's the million dollar question. What's the next big thing? Uh, it terrifies me because Daddy Foodie now is reaching that three year milestone that I've never, you know, ran a company except quintessentially that lasted more than three years and I've always spun it off or sold it. And this year could be the year where I shut it all down and I make something different. See you right now. So that's, that's where I am wow. right now. So yes, 2020 has been an absolutely crappy year. So I might end it on like, you know, boys and girls, it's been a great ride. Thank you so much. But maybe it's time to uh, call it quits. Maybe part of me is like scared uh, in the sense that I don't want this to get out of control. I mean, a quarter of a million is all right. I mean, that's still an average number that you can manage. Once I get to like a million Do I really want that added stress? I mean, it's already, it's already almost there because a quarter of a million in Lebanon is, is quite big. So when we do go out for dinner, my wife and I, sometimes it gets, you know, uncomfortable with the constant selfies. It's like, um, is this guy here professionally or is he here to have fun? And so they're like, the maître d' is always around me. Like, this is on the house and this is on the house. And why don't you try that and take a picture of that? See what I mean? So it, it got to the point where it really got out of hand, like the monster that I created, like, um, and, and really expanded. I mean, now you turn on the eight o'clock news and like at prime time, I'm in an ad on the news here in, in Lebanon. So it's like mainstream media now as well. You know, once you enter mainstream media, then halas, it's out of your control. And your specialty Your specialty is burgers. So you it's also a niche. You know what I mean? Like you're not... I'm the niche of the niche. I'm a 40-year-old yeah. food blogger that likes burger. And that's what I wanted it to stay. But somehow <laughs> it just exploded into like a, a, a mainstream, if you want, into like the mainstream media right now. And that's taken an effect on, on my family, right? Does it bother your kids? Yes. It does. Interesting. Something also that I would advise all future parents is that don't try to model your kids in your image. First of all, it'll never work. Second of all, it's unfair. Uh, and so both my kids are camera shy. My wife is extremely camera shy. When we were sending emails back and forth, you, you mentioned something that you're, uh, you're quite, uh, you're not necessarily an extro extrovert and you're, uh, and you're private and that you don't like to go out too much and you, you know, you like spend time with your family. So they seem like different worlds. To, to answer that, I'm still like that. I mean, if you've lost me, you'll always find me at home. And I would never go out unless I really had to. Yani, had to for a client, had to for a shoot. But if you gave me like three hours at, in the evening and told me you could do anything you want, I would rather much stay at home in front of the fireplace, cook a steak and watch a movie. That's personally what I would enjoy. And that's exactly what I've been doing in this damn 2020. Uh, because as you can imagine, 2020 has had a huge impact on uh, bloggers. Lebanon. On, well, on, on Lebanon, that's, that's a, a separate subject. Uh, but I mean, in general, on the field, on anyone who uses media to you know, promote brands, 
it's been absolute hell. So basically I've taken a year off and it's been just posting about my daily lifestyle. And for you, this is, is this the reason why you're considering uh, also potentially doing something else? Is this, is it the financial reason or? It, it came at the right time. I mean, it, it wrong time actually, but it, it was a mix of, of many things. Um, one, as I told you, the size is now at a point where it's no longer just fun. It's like critical. Uh, two, my family and they are not really that fond of it uh, the way they used to. And three, um, making money out of it has become almost impossible. I mean, unless you want to, like I say, break the rules and start promoting things that you wouldn't buy yourself, which I would never do. No, I would rather just keep it the way it used to be. A fun page where I just do my uh, lifestyle, live the way I uh, I want, and then just let it be completely organic. But that's when you're going to see your follower count maybe start to drop because you won't be posting yeah. as, as much as you did before. And that's my worst nightmare. I would rather, again, sell at a high than ever see anything I've built dwindle. But what else could it be if it's not, uh, if it's not daddy foodie? You don't have, you haven't thought, you're thinking about it. I've been cooking something for the last year. And here's your, basically your scoop, because I've never talked about this anywhere, uh, anywhere Yay. else. <laughs> uh, I think I might be going back to square one, doing a complete 360 and going back. Cash business? Uh, before that, the Trade Union. Trade Union. Okay. So in, investments. Exactly. Uh, hospitality. Facilitating investments. investments. Exactly. Uh, but not so much hotels because, you know, the industry right now cannot handle that. Uh, more towards restaurants. So go to my initial, uh, you know, passion, which was the whole food industry, hotels, uh, uh, in, yeah, hospitality in general, and concentrate on something that, you know, I've had 20 years of experience in. Uh, I know how to make money for investors. Uh, I know what works in the food world and what doesn't, because I've been the most critical client for the last 20 years, traveling the world, looking for the best things to eat. And for the last three years, I have experience and what works and what doesn't, how to sell your product to hundreds and thousands of, of clients. So I think I would be very well placed right now in giving my advice to any investors looking to, uh, you know, invest in the food industry in the region. And that's why I created Foodie Consulting, Foodie with a Y, as in Daddy Foodie. But again, it's still a business that depends on you and your connections it and will, your It networks. will always be. It will always, always be. I promise yeah. you, moving yeah. forward, anything that I do is always going to be boutique and me. I'm not interested in anything else anymore. What's your idea of fun? Like, what do you, what do you enjoy doing? Fun. What does that mean again? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> um, listen, um, fun has taken on a completely uh, different meaning. As I said, lately, nothing has really been fun. Um, generally, for the human population, this was not a fun year. And I really failed to see how we can really have fun. Specifically for the Lebanese community, this year has been absolutely the worst year of our lives. It's been worse than any of the years of the civil war that I uh, remember. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really cannot talk about You're fun. about it, by the way. I've noticed that. Yeah. Again, Daddy Foodie is unfiltered. If I'm pissed at the political situation, you're going to hear about it. And I don't care if I lose 
a few followers along the way. I mean, Lebanon needs more people yeah. to be vocal and to say, you know what, we're angry. We're, we're not happy with the way things are going right now. And we know who to blame. And the first people we need to blame is ourselves. There's no blame to be put on our leaders. Leaders in any country are the reflection of their people. We are the ones who put them in power. We are the ones who constantly feed them. So at the end of the day, it ultimately goes down to the Lebanese people and it is really our fault. And without getting, if you want, political, I think that's what we should be concentrating on now. Us being better people vis-a-vis our fellow citizens. And that is the only way that we are going to build a country and bring any kind of future leaders that uh, that will if you want, uh, bring these aspirations represent, uh, to life exactly. and, and represent us. Yes. 2020 fun has been cancelled. You have the you have an opportunity to leave at any point. Right. I mean, you are Australian. Uh, you've lived in the Gulf. Uh, you know, you've you've already had that experience, but you you love Lebanon. Yeah. Yeah. I get asked that every single day. And what are you still doing here? What do you mean? What yeah. do I still do? This is my country. I'm It's not going country. to leave yeah. at the first opportunity uh, of leaving. This is exactly what we should not do. On the contrary, there should be more people like me who come back to Lebanon, who open more businesses, who employ more people and who give out this positive Uh, nationalist, patriotic pride. There's a million people out there who are qualified. Would you consider politics? Uh, I don't think so. Again, out of respect for my family, because I have a responsibility towards them before anything else. And I think we're at a point right now where being in the, polit in the political light right now does come with dangers. I mean, being in my light right now comes with dangers. I can't tell you how many threats I get every time I post something negative about so-and-so leader. Uh, we're going to come to you. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. See what I mean? So imagine taking on political life. I want to use my pedestal. I want to use my influence. I want to use my reach to remind people that A, it's not over. Uh, B, there are other options. And C, we're living in the greatest country on earth. I mean, look at me. I have the option to live in any country I want, right? It's not easy uh, and I don't blame anyone for not, not for not doing it. I mean, but I believe that me, in this stage in my life, I belong here. It, it could be different for everybody else yeah. and I respect that totally. But for me personally, there's, there's nowhere else yeah. I would rather be right now than here. What's your favorite food? Burgers. It's, really? the it's the complete food. It's got everything. But I mean, you can't, eat, you can't eat a burger every day, can you? Try me. So you, you haven't been tuning in. <laughs> no, in, in all honesty, I, I think it's, it's... I mean, you're going to be like 200 kilos if you do that. But you know what? The older I'm getting, the more I eat, the more I'm losing weight because I'm getting more selective in my burgers. You know, it, instead okay. of having like three junk food burgers, I'd rather have one gourmet burger. And if you look at it, it really is a complete meal if you don't go overboard, of course. I mean, I saw you making one of your burgers and you, you slathered it with, uh, with butter for the bread. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I could eat that uh, all the time. How difficult is it for you to say no? Um, I'm so bad at saying no. I'm bad at saying no when people need help. I'm bad at saying no when the waiter asks me for seconds. I'm bad at saying no if I'm on a diet. I'm the worst. Again, that's why I'm a bad manager. I don't know how to say no. I'm a yes man. 
So I want to thank you so much, Brahms, for your time and uh, and all your insights. I really, really enjoyed this. I really wish we could have done this in person because I'm so eager to try your burger, which I've heard so much about and I've seen so much Yeah, uh, either about. in Dubai or in Beirut. Why not? Thank you for joining me on the season finale of Conversations with Lulu for 2020. Honestly, when I started out, I knew I wanted to do these deep dive conversations, but I wasn't sure how far I would get. As I reflect on the 18 episodes with exceptional guests and incredible conversations, I'm so excited for 2021, where I'll be launching a new and improved show and a few more surprises along the way. Until then, I wish you a safe and happy holiday season. I hope you'll continue to listen and share the show with someone who could really use some inspiration. I'm really grateful for your support and lots of love. Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.